Hello, people of the world. You are listening to this episode during the second week of Max Fun Drive. If you're listening to it when it releases, that is where you get all sorts of cool gifts for becoming a new upgrading or boosting member over at MaximumFun.org forward slash join. We're going to tell you about that later in the show, but we want to tell you right now very quickly about our show specific goal, which is 450 New slash boosting slash upgrading members. Mark, what's going to happen when we hit that goal? Well, Hal, what happens when we reach that goal is we will revisit one of our most contentious decisions we've ever made on the show. For those of you who have listened in the past, Hal and I have reached intractable point one other time in the history of this show. And we were so dug in in our own decisions and thoughts on a subject that we had to get outside help. We got it from John Hodgman, the judge, his honor on Judge John Hodgman. It did not go my way. In fact, it could not have gone worse for me when we did that episode of Judge John Hodgman. So if we reach 450 new upgrading or boosting members, then we will go back on the Judge John Hodgman show and I will get a chance to redeem my terrible performance the last time around. And we will, with the help of Judge John Hodgman, hopefully overturn Hal's obstinance in our decision about what the best pretzel shape was. And that is only going to happen if we hit 450 total new slash upgrading slash boosting members. So to make that happen and to learn about all the other great gifts and things that are going on during Max Fun Drive and how you can support this show and the Max Fun Network, go to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. Forward slash. I'll always say it. <laughs> I love it. And now, please enjoy We Got This with Mark and Hal. Hello, I'm Hal Lublin. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. Since the dawn of humanity, one issue has gone unsettled. With the fate of the world in the balance, we're here to settle once and for all. Best That's right. Don't worry, everyone. We got this. Podcasts should have a theme song. Podcasts should not have a theme song. Yes, they should. No, they shouldn't. They sound good. Yeah, but people are just going to skip past it. You know what? You're right. We got this. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. No, no. What? No, this is not one of them. Don't. That's why would true. you even start? I'll tell you set why. Set an expectation amongst our <laughs> listeners. Hello to all of you. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hello, people of the world. Because when I hear, we got this. It sounds like it was recorded by the same recording artists mm. that went in the studio and dropped that track. This is Halloween. They dropped that track. Yeah, they dropped that track. Mm. Did I say that right? Yeah, sure. Awesome. Yeah. Of course. We are here to talk about Tim Burton movies, Hal, but we are not alone. That's right. We have good friends of ours who we've known for 16 years, 15, oh 16 gosh. years. Crazy to think. Yes. Two prominent voices you've heard everywhere. You've heard of all over the place. You've seen them on screen They've literally written the book on voice acting, by the way. Yeah. They are Yuri Lowenthal and Tara Platt. Hello. Hi, guys. Hi, y'all. Having us on the show. I really do think of you two as the first couple of voice acting. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I'm giving giving you you a royal wave. (laughs) Hello. Yes. You're the corgis. You're the queen's corgis. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Of voice acting. That is much much more appropriate. (laughs) And you selected this topic. Why? Well, you know, it, in retrospect, it was probably a bad idea. <laughs> let's, let's just say, let's just say we selected from, we, we, we gave you a few that we thought were good. True. And, and, it, mm-hmm. and, and this was good. It seemed good at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Are you questioning we were actually, life choices? We were, well, I was hoping for another one, and I just sort oh. of had in you my, assumed in my head, that that's what they were going to. I would get, I would get oh. the one that I really wanted. Oh. Well, you'll come um, back, and we'll do that one another yeah. time. Yeah, okay. This is we'll not the about- only time the two of you will be on this show. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll talk about which one that is later because we do, certainly don't want to spoil anything for people. Of course. Of course. But yeah, this is a, this was a very deep hole. Once once it was set, mm-hmm. and I started mm-hmm. thinking about it, and we started talking about it. Uh, this is not going to be easy. No, there are some great movies in there, and there are some really polarizing movies in there. One hundred. Did you find one or more of them to be particularly polarizing for the two of you? Well, I mean, like there were certain ones that I remembered because the truth is I'm one of those people that really only watches movies once. I don't tend mm-hmm. to go back and rewatch movies. Well, yeah. he will rewatch movies, mm-hmm. which is probably why he's a better writer than I am because he rewatches them and figures out why they work and why they don't work. Whereas I just sort of like it or don't like it. And then I'm done. I'm with, with it. you, though, Tara. I just watch them and enjoy them. Yeah. yeah. And right. I watch them multiple times and study them like they're the Zapruto film. So there you Three go. Movies, the yes. there so, um, We're the same couple. So there were, <laughs> yes, there, were, there were movies like Big Fish that I remember being bedazzled by when I was watching it, but I didn't walk away with sort of, yeah. I, I don't know. Right. Whereas I just remember really disliking Big Fish. Like it, Big Fish did not work for me. It mm-hmm. felt like it should. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. that's where that emotional abuse should be. And that should be a thing that's going to make me start crying now. And it just, it did not feel organic ever to me. But I Not also wrong. I hmm. also struggle because I'm very much all about aesthetics. So you give me a director that's good at aesthetics, a Jean-Pierre Genet, a Tim Burton, uh, you know, mm-hmm. someone like that. And I will just eat up their work because it's all about like so the pretty. pretty eye candy that I'm getting. And I care less when I'm getting all that pretty eye candy about if the beats pay off and if things like that, like I'm much more forgiving mm-hmm. of this wildly mm-hmm. aesthetic world that they've created than I would be if it's just this like drama and I'm watching what's happening and I'm like, oh, I don't believe that. So I'm already going to be very forgiving of something that's coming out of a person like a Tim Burton because I'm like, Oh, this is what I want. I want, I want a Wes Anderson. I want a Tim Burton. I want yeah, something that's yeah. wildly vividly aesthetic. So like for big fish, I was like, I just liked all the pretty, <laughs> like I didn't, yeah. I, it, it was less to me about the payoffs or the no payoffs with things like that, because I wasn't focusing on whether I was getting that, I was so excited about things floating in the air. Like that's all that I have, you know, like that's, I don't know. Yeah. I think that's what makes a Tim Burton movie, a Tim Burton movie though, is that aesthetic that he comes from animation. He comes from drawing a very specific, like goth kid in Burbank style. Yeah. And that permeates everything that he does. So I think in, in like coming up with our criteria for these movies and how we are going to judge them in order to objectively determine which of these is the best. I think aesthetics has got to be at the top, if not sure. near the top, if not at the top of the list of things we got to talk about. Yeah, yeah. He always seems to put that before story and character anyway. So mm-hmm. we might as well. Yeah, he, <laughs> Tim Burton is like, uh, yeah, there are like maybe four like mother sauces to Tim Burton. One of them yes. is like that Edward Gorey meets Dr. Seuss yes. visual yes. style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other is his desire to delve into the stories that he loved as a child and, mm-hmm. and reimagine and retell them. Then there's mm-hmm. the season that he sort of seems to be in now that started earlier. Like they're all sort of interwoven of, I want to tell an actual story and you're going to feel my fingerprints all over this, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be, you know, Ed Wood and Edward Scissorhands, which are made four years apart are very mm-hmm. different movies. Mm-hmm. Were they you can only tell made they're made four, by the same guy. Were they only made four years apart? I mean, that's wild. Here's the interesting thing. He makes Frankenweenie, which gets him fired from Disney, but gets right. Paul Rubin's attention. 
So he handpicks Tim Burton to direct Pee-wee's Big Pee-wee's Adventure. Big, yeah. Mm-hmm. That movie explodes and he takes three years to pick his next project because he doesn't like anything thrown at him. The next thing that he makes is Beetlejuice. Yes. Which, yeah. Yeah, that one's my, I'm favorite. glad you brought up Beetlejuice and Ed Wood because those are, I think those are going to be, uh, rising to the top for us. Yeah. Uh, those are, he, I, I think although, those are already on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah. 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 And I will say it would be hard to overlook Batman just because of where I was as, you know, a teenager in mm-hmm. high school who, you know, loved Batman all his life, but who, you know, was, had just come off of reading, you know, The Dark Knight Returns, which is, you yeah. know, the, you know, one of the greatest Batman stories ever told, but, but a reinventing. And so we were all so excited and, you know, me and all my friends to go to this movie right after this sort of, you know, very dark Batman tale had been told. Wait, this is and the so, Michael Keaton. This is Michael, Michael Batman. Keaton and Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, so, so it was important for me in the moment. And yet it currently doesn't, you know, isn't in my top. Is it because so, he doesn't go, I'm Batman? It's, it's not the Christian Bale Batman. <laughs> that way? <laughs> Michael, Michael, Keaton Batman. Has own, Michael Keaton has his own version of Christian Bale's yeah. Batman. Yeah, Michael Keaton was more whispering. Yeah. He's like, right. yeah, it's not that bad. If I don't phonate, they won't know who I am. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I answer the phone if it's telemarketers so they don't know who I am. I'm like, just don't phonate and they won't know. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so like, it's weird to think the guy who made Big Eyes is the same guy who bought the rights to a trading card set and made Mars Attacks. Yes. Which yes. he changed. Yeah. He couldn't decide between Dinosaurs Attack and Mars Attacks. But when Jurassic Park came out, he's like, I'll go with Mars Attacks, then releases it the same summer as Independence Day. So. Right. Yeah. It wasn't gonna, <laughs> right. And the movie's not, I mean, again, that's like aesthetically, this is, I love that movie's aesthetics. Right. Sure. Mm-hmm. 100%. But as a movie, I only remember Slim Whitman making their heads explode. Yeah. yeah I visually, I only remember the images from the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything about the story. Like if you asked me what the story was, I'd be like, Mars, it, Attacked. attacked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Martians showed up and they were dicks. Was uh, yeah, kind of I, don't, the whole I don't know. Premise I don't of that know. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Was Mars Attacks, does anybody know the history of this movie in that, like, was there studio influence on him in this? Was this just him unfettered doing whatever he wanted? Because the latter is kind of what that movie feels like, yeah. is that this guy has been a huge, huge force in Hollywood for just a handful of years at this point. Mm-hmm. And they're like, make whatever you want. It's almost like when they gave Julie Taymor free reign to make a Spider-Man musical. Right. And, right. and then they went, oh, oh, oh without baby. boundaries, you, <laughs> you really need to be, your genius really needs to be reined in. Yeah. So yeah. let's tighten the constraints on this a little bit. Does it feel too like youthful, unconstrained? Burton. That's what it feels like to me. It's just it's based on trading cards. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Right. Like what? <laughs> right. There's not if you want him with unfettered. So Batman's a huge hit, and he can make mm-hmm. whatever he wants. So he makes Edward Scissorhands. That's him with free reign. Then he agrees right. to come back for Batman Returns, but says I want mm-hmm. complete creative control. Mm-hmm. And then that is him, both small budget and big budget, doing whatever he wants. Those two movies are probably the best mm-hmm. example of him doing like having complete creative control over something how do you feel about those i'm famously not a batman returns fan i didn't like what happened with the penguin because i like that character from the comics but now the comics reflect what he did so i Mm -hmm. I mean i know i feel like i'm in the minority here but how the two of you feel about that i mean i really liked it at the time you know i liked the darkness he brought to it i like 
how disgusting the penguin was you know, mm-hmm. in that movie. Yeah. I like him, you know, introducing other villains, you know, that that's what we needed from a second Batman film and the aesthetic still worked, but it was, it was almost like it was used up at the end of that film and it needed to go in a completely different direction, which, you know, it sort of did, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they were, they were trying to, you know, beyond that film, they were trying to maintain some of the things without him, some of the stylistic elements, but it had to go in a different direction. I think my brain has sort of squished those two films together though, Batman oh, and yeah. that, like I, for sure. I don't know that I could distinguish scenes that I can visually remember if it was Batman or Batman. Richard. Like it's just, it's a little like smushed together for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're very similar. Like they have a, mm-hmm. the same visual language. Yeah, it's which is not necessarily bad. Like yeah, many we, we, many yeah. directors love, have a visual language. His, we love but... his visual language. Sure. Um, yeah. I believe that in a way that was you know I mean Edward Scissorhands has so much of his heart, mm-hmm. but I, I believe the pinnacle of that was Beetlejuice for me. Beetlejuice had for me everything. It had the right cast. It had the right look. It had the right weirdness employed Mm -hmm. in a story that you could use that without it feeling like, oh, it's just the trappings of weirdness on top of something that doesn't really make any sense. Like it felt organic to that story. But for me, like with Beetlejuice, it almost feels like every single other title that we've listed of his Mm -hmm. is in Beetlejuice. Like if you look at Beetlejuice, it feels like it's his sort of ultimate film because it has all of the other strains that he Mm -hmm. went on to play with in every other, like it has some Mars attacks in it and it has some Batman in it and it has some big fish in it and it has some Edward, like it has all of the strings and it's almost as if that's his symphony because he was able to like looking at a little bit of everything he wanted to do and sort of play it there as opposed to other things where he was kind of focusing on one Mm -hmm. and it Mm -hmm. may or may not work. I felt like with Beetlejuice, it worked to great effect because he was able to pull all those elements in that he wanted to play with and wanted to try out and was excited about and dark and weird Mm -hmm. and interesting and heartfelt and good story and interesting characters. Like it felt like it had all the elements and yet was still elevated and heightened and didn't feel like it was sort of taking a step back for any reason, whether it was studio or, you know, like it just felt like it really embodied and him. Was, so it was like, still scrappy. Too. Yeah. But like it like was, feels it like a scrappy feel to if it. you had yeah. to ask for what's a film that represents that particular director, it feels like Beetlejuice to me because it has all of the elements. Like, I think I feel like he has like you were saying, not only aesthetically does it have all of the elements, the wacky characters, the macabre, the cool color palette, the like all of those things. But story wise, it has things that he dove into a lot too. relationships between parents and their kids. Mm -hmm. The one weirdo kid that feels like an outsider in a suburban world, like all of those elements and what that looks like, like Mm -hmm. the afterlife. (laughs) I mean, like that's his you know? Yeah. Do you think that those were things that were all in him that all came out at that point? Or do you think that they came out to serve that story and then became things that were his signatures? I believe that they were Mm -hmm. him. And because he was still trying to figure out what his signature was. And I came up with an interesting, because we're talking about Beetlejuice and and I would also like to to bring Ed Wood into this. When I was trying to determine, because Ed Wood and Beetlejuice are probably my two favorite films. And I was trying to you know, find which one of those was the winner. Beetlejuice. And I really, and the, and the answer is Beetlejuice. Um, and I, I came to Don't say it one more time. <laughs> right? <laughs> if you say it, Michael Keaton will show up again. Really? Should I say <laughs> it again? <laughs> <laughs> will we get green and uh, weird uh, not, not Beetlejuice, but Michael oh. Keaton actually. Yeah, Michael up. Keaton himself. Yeah. Actually, Birdman will show up following <laughs> that leap. 
He will just land in your yard. We don't know where he is. I said it one time and I got clean and sober, Michael Keaton. It was a real bummer. As as long as you didn't get Jack Frost, Michael Keaton. Nope. Or all of the multiplicity, Michael Keaton. Or all of (laughs) But I had to split it into two very sort of similar but different categories. And one was the best Tim Burton directed film. Mm Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one was the best film directed by Tim Burton. Oh, like you're deep. Though. Like yeah. Beetlejuice, you movies more than Beetlejuice yeah. is is a quintessential Tim Burton film style film for me, yep. mm-hmm. and one of the greatest. But Ed Wood, I believe, is a better directed film by Tim Burton, but but has less of mm-hmm. you know the colorful trappings. It still has a lot of his style, yeah. but I believe it is a better directed film, and and ultimately a a better story. I like take better... your argument and I accept it. That was a really good logic. Yeah, it is. It's a more restrained mm-hmm. direction. Yeah. I mean, obviously Ed Wood is someone he's that he has an affinity for sure. and that style of film, you know, he's a huge Vincent Price fan, has an uncompleted Vincent Price documentary that who knows yeah. if it'll ever see the light of day. So I'll be honest in the Tim Burton film canon, that was the movie I had not seen and I watched it this past week in preparation. I was like, I can't talk about Tim mm-hmm. Burton without having yeah. seen this. Yeah. And I, I made a poor choice last night at about midnight. I was like, mm-hmm. if I'm going to talk about this tomorrow, I have to make sure I have to remember. So, yeah. so, so at midnight last night, I, I put in Ed Wood and, and started uh, watching it. And, <laughs> but it's, but, you've seen it already, but it, but it had been a while. <laughs> I, but, but I, again, again, to your point, Hal gets again, it. Right, Hal gets me. Yeah, yeah you got to return. <laughs> you see me, Hal. I feel seen, Hal. Yeah, but, well, your your memory of a film, if yeah. you saw it a long mm-hmm. time ago, it's either going to be idealized or, or right. But it's but it's, it's like um, you have to trust your instinct. So if you watch a movie and you like it or you don't like it, you have to trust that that was your instinct. And watching mm-hmm. it another fifty times isn't well, going to necessarily make your initial instinct wrong just because now you're familiar with it. Well, but I I only needed thirty minutes to I didn't have to watch the whole thing again right. to mm-hmm. be able to come in and legitimately sort of make that point. Plus, I had just watched back to back two Godzilla movies and it was midnight and there's no way I'm old and there's no way I was going <laughs> to watch the whole thing. Sure. Um, but it is it is a, you know, an utter delight. And correct me if I'm wrong. How many Academy Awards has he won? Just two for that film, right? They've all been nominated. There are a couple of art direction uh, okay. Academy Awards out there that okay. have been won by him. But that I know was the was, only acting. Yeah. Yeah, it was Martin, Martin. I mean, yeah, Martin, and Martin Landau, Landau and, is, and, the, and the makeup. It's interesting God. how, almost in the beginning, he was trying to decide if Michael Keaton was going to be his muse or Johnny Depp was going to be his muse, and Johnny Depp won. You know, yeah. right, rightfully so, because I think Johnny Depp is sort of how Tim Burton sees himself, you know, in 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 the world, and you know, as as Johnny Depp established, you know, him with Edward Scissorhands and and all that. Mm-hmm. But he's so good in Wood and. It was just he, such a delight to watch. He is. The whole cast is great. Yeah. It's a, coming off of it. I, I think I, it's such a great homage to those films and it has the feeling of those movies as well, where there's sort of a disjointed nature to it. But I think partially by intention and partially because maybe the story of Ed Wood isn't as interesting as he, like, I don't find it as interesting as he found it, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed watching it play out mm-hmm. and the performances are all great. And it feels like it just kind of ends, but also and, right. that it, all those movies just kind of end. Yeah. And it know? is stripped down. It, you're right. It didn't need a crazy story. Mm-hmm. It just needed that, you know, human 
story. And it, he didn't need to paint it up with, you know, garish colors and, you know, weird puppets and, and stop motion and things like that to make that work. And I, and I'm a sucker for old Hollywood. So it, so it had me there. Um, now if it had been the Ben Chapman story, you know, that, that would have been really interesting. Mm-hmm. I would have loved it. I would have loved to watch the Ben Chapman story, <laughs> the fictional version or the nonfiction right. version. Yeah. A little with Hollywood. Johnny Depp playing yeah. you. Yeah. Playing with ben what? Ben Hang on a second. <laughs> There is something about this that he does really well in his movies, which I think is the when and the where. You know, you've, if you've got the five W's and when and where are a huge part of what he does. And he so often creates a when and where that is the when is timeless and the where is Tim Burton land. So to see him shoot something that where the when and the where are, no, 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 it is the San Fernando Valley in the 1950s. Regardless of whether or not it is timeless Tim Burton land, or if it's a specific place in time, it is always so specifically laid out. And I think that uh, this movie, I think Ed Wood in particular is his best. Well, there's a reason this one hour episode, this was the ultimate winner in our episode of best Los Angeles movie. Yeah. Because it does get that place in time so perfectly right. But I think going back to what Tara was saying earlier about aesthetics, I don't know that in, I think, yes, that is an incredible movie. And as a movie, it's better. I think that what we, what you were saying before about do you want the best movie that's directed by Tim Burton or do you want the best Tim Burton movie? I think those aesthetics are required mm-hmm. of a Tim Burton movie. I need something striped to unfurl right. at yes. some point. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. You know, I'll tell you what. I think we all agree Beetlejuice is a finalist. I think Ed Wood is a finalist as well. I, I want to take yeah. a break because we're in the middle of Max Fun Drive. Because you want we're some gonna, Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, we're gonna yeah, because there are a lot it. of people screaming about us not talking about we're, Edward we're gonna, Scissorhands. Yeah. When we come back from this from this brief break to talk to you about Max Fun Drive, we're going to get into Edward Scissorhands. And I want to dig specifically into his Disney oeuvre and see if there are perhaps any finalists there. We'll be right back. That's how you pronounce that word? Uh, you know, everybody pronounces it a little different. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Everybody's right. Oh, we are over isn't that french for egg <laughs> yeah i think so <laughs> that's right <laughs> hey did you know it's max fun drive i did it's week two what yes week two of max fun drive what what how tell this listener what max fun drive is yes if you didn't already know max fun drive is the time of year when we all come together to support the shows on max fun shows like oh i don't know this one when you become a member during max fun drive you get to decide which shows benefit max fun is audience supported which means that we're free to make the content you enjoy because people like you contribute that's right we have been super lucky to have such a great community grow around us we've been with max fun for a while now and we've watched this community grow and bring in new people and we've gotten to know a lot of people involved both with the shows and fans of the shows and members of the max fun network basically as a member you become part of creating the show the artists make the content the audience listens and shares and the members provide the funding that makes it all possible Yes. This year in particular has shown us how valuable our favorite creators are. I know that I've been taking more time to support creators whose work that I enjoy because they've kept us company. They've given us familiar voices to make us laugh, think, interact, and just 
feel normal for a second. That's what we want our show to be is your escape from everything going on in the world to just laugh and argue about dumb stuff for just 45 minutes or so. And if we've done that for you and you're able to join, now is the time to do it. So here's how this works. Membership at MaxFun starts at $5 a month. That gets you all the bonus content. You'll be able to access that as long as you are a member. And there is a whole lot of it already waiting for you right now. We have years of it. Yes. Uh, We've got some amazing bonus content. At $10 a month, if you're able to join or upgrade, you're going to get a MaxFun membership card and a really cool pin of your choice. Each show's got one. Ours is fantastic. Ours Ours is the best. It's so all bad. of our pins, this is the best band. And this is the last year for a while that we're going to be doing pins. So, uh, you know, complete your early Max Fun era pin collection yes. uh, with our favorite pin this year, which is a picture of the best pretzel shape, which is pretzel shape. And then uh, Hal's incorrect opinion about it, encircling it, which is this is not the best pretzel shape. It has been the most divisive decision of our show in a very long time. And it has been an absolute delight to read all of the comments about. So get that pin. And then listen to the episode so I can be vindicated. Oh, I don't think it's vindication. Mark, Nobody that's listened to the episode Mark, thinks that you are vindicated in Mark, this. you're talking that garbage. This is our sixth year of Max Fun, so we're this many. <laughs> he just held up six fingers on one hand. I did. Well, I, <laughs> I killed Inigo Montoya's father. At $20 or more, you get this year's very special gift, which is the Max Fun Take a Minute Tea Kit. Tell them about it, Mark. The Max Fun Take a Minute Tea Kit. Look, it's been a tough year for everybody. Don't you sometimes just want to sit down, turn on your favorite podcast? We got this with Mark and Hal mm-hmm. and pour yourself a delicious cup of tea. Why not do it with the Max Fun Take a Minute Tea Kit, a custom tin with art by Atomic Pixies, a rocket shaped tea infuser, and a custom Max Fun blend of tea from our friends at Wishes Tea. You deserve to take a minute for yourself and enjoy a nice cup of tea. If you are already a member, thank you so much for supporting the show and making it happen. And if you haven't yet become a member and you're able to do so, you're not only supporting the show, but you're supporting all of the listeners of the show who are not able to become members at this time. And that is a huge deal. Amen. So if you want a JBU, that's join, boost, or upgrade, go to MaximumFun.org slash join. But right now, let's get back to this episode of We Got This with Mark and Hal. JBU. <laughs> <laughs> No discussion of Tim Burton's work would be complete without discussing his most personal film, an allegory about his childhood in Burbank, California, which is 1990s Edward Scissorhands. It's also the first time he ever worked with Johnny Depp, and they have collaborated on, I think, if my numbers are right, three million movies since then. <laughs> yeah. It's Let me check IMDb. Is it yeah. 3.2 million? Three, three, it's oh, up to three point right. two. Since we started thousand, yeah. Right. Since we started this podcast, it's like yeah. tracking Dogecoin. It just keeps going up, it keeps going up. They're not. St- oh, they might not. Oh, nope. There they go. They're working together. They're going to remake the Falcon Snow. Anyway, Depcoin. Yeah, this Depcoin. He's put it all in Depcoin. I like this movie. I don't love it, and I don't know. Oh, I Visually, love this movie. I think it's real interesting. I love the haircuts. I love that. Mm-hmm. weird like this is how i saw burbank in the 1960s mm-hmm. when i was a kid mm-hmm. but that becomes such a seamless point of view 
from Tim Burton as a kid in Burbank in the 60s Mm-hmm. to the character Edward Scissorhands, the way he sees this. We're like, this is such a great example of, I mean, I can tell you who the protagonist is in Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. I can't necessarily tell you whose eyes we're watching the movie through. Probably Lydia's. Right, yeah. right. Catherine yeah. O'Hara, always. Catherine O'Hara, yeah. I, All things should be viewed through <laughs> Catherine O'Hara's <laughs> eyes. Sure, sure, sure. The sure. entire world should just be viewed through Catherine O'Hara's eyes. But this movie is so, you are watching this is the way that Edward Scissorhands sees the world. So the ice sculpture turning into snow, mm-hmm. the sort of grotesque neighborhood with the perfect yeah. Burbank pastels. Like yeah. that to me is so beautiful about it. And I think that seeing the world through an innocent outsider's eyes created such a lovely fairy tale with that movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I would not disagree on any of those points. Uh, the one thing that I, I feel you've neglected to bring in is, is mm. also the, the the reinvention and reintroduction into Hollywood of Anthony Michael Hall, right? Yes. Yeah. That's the villain. That's it was true. Like swole, Anthony, bad Anthony guy. Michael Swole. Anthony yeah. Michael. <laughs> he left yeah, SNL and went dad. straight to a gym. That was it. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> His transformation from 16 Candles, Anthony Michael Hall, to, yeah. yeah, to, you know, jock, heartthrob, Anthony Michael Hall. <laughs> it's pretty great. Did any of yeah. you guys go to that exhibit a few years ago in Los Angeles? The at Tim the Burton exhibit? At the, yes. at the LA, at, yeah, at the LACMA. LACMA, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. That to me, seeing all of those, for those who don't know, there was a huge retrospective of Tim Burton's work going back to drawings he drew as a kid and then things he did. I think he was on, was, he, was it like local TV or local radio yeah, or something? something like yeah. that because they had, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They had or like, oh, no, he was working yeah. for like a local ad company because he was doing like lawn ads for yeah. landscapers and stuff. But just seeing all of this stuff and seeing the world through those eyes, mm-hmm. yeah, you really get a sense of his viewpoint on the world. So I would argue that if it is about the most Tim Burton movie and you want to see a movie through Tim Burton's eyes, Edward Scissorhands is seeing the world through Tim Burton's eyes. Mm. Nothing striped and tentacly unfurls at us in this movie, I don't think. I hear what you're saying, and mm-hmm. I agree that it's through his eyes. It is but, almost so the, the purest view. Right, but mm. but when you look at someone who you're talking about as a creative or as an artist, so a director mm. or a performer, or like you're trying to figure out what makes them them. So like, why is it... Mm their film you know why is pan's labyrinth guillermo del Toro. toro's you know what i mean like why is it mm-hmm. his film another why good retrospective it? at lacma by the way that's true uh Ooh. why is it a tim burton <laughs> film i think that rather than just getting the perspective of getting to see through his eyes you need to also have his aesthetic which is where he's taken himself from being able to look through his eyes and then going into the world that he actually wants to create so I hear what you're saying, but I feel like Beetlejuice takes it that step farther because it it does let us get what Tim Burton's trying to put into the world as a creative and as an artist. He now has his special Tim Burton sauce to put on it. And that's what Mm. gives you Beetlejuice over Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, in in a way, Edward Scissorhands was his reality Mm -hmm. and his fantasy you know, Tim Burton, let's, you know, looking at sort of him and all he does and his aesthetic and everything, he does wish he were dead as a ghost and could, <laughs> right. you know, I mean, and so that is, his, that is his, his fantasy, his fantasy yeah. realized. Yeah. 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 There is something like I love the commentary 
for him to say, I stood out and was a freak when I was younger, felt like a freak because I felt unfinished. Yeah. That's really, that's mm-hmm. why he has the scissor hands. His yeah. Vincent Price died before he could finish him. So yeah. th- if that's a feeling that's inside him, there's a lot to unpack there. And that yeah. makes it a, a film worth watching multiple times. I don't think it stands up to either of the two that are in the finals. I feel like if we put it in the finals, it would just be for the sake of placating. I think there would be a lot placating the listeners because I think yes. there would be a lot of listeners who would fight you on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they should get a podcast. One about of them it. is gags, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, 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 I do understand. I, I, no, because I will profess my love for the movie Edward Scissorhands, but I do not personally think, I think we've already talked about the winner of this. And I think that we all might already be in agreement, but we still have more movies to talk about. You wanted to talk about Disney. I want to just want to talk about his Disney movies, that being Dumbo. And Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. you know, obviously that's where he starts. He's tw- mm-hmm. 22, 20, he's, he's right out of CalArts, starts working at Disney, works on Fox and the Hound, Tron, Sword in the Stone, does all that stuff. So he comes back to Disney to direct Alice in Wonderland and Dumbo, which I cannot watch. I cannot watch, especially since I couldn't watch it as a kid when my mother no. was alive. I, no. I certainly can't watch it now ever no. again. Yeah, I, we haven't seen it either. Yeah. Is there anything to him? The only film that I've seen him where I've seen him cover somebody else's or an existing thing and bring it that I enjoyed was Sleepy Hollow. But that was his yeah. own, you know, reinvention of a, you know, yes. a, a tale that, yeah. you know, has sort of been handed down. So that does feel much. It feels like he's got much more ownership on, on, on Sleepy Hollow. But even like with Alice in Wonderland, it very much felt like he was doing it for someone else and trying to put his special sauce on it. Like it didn't. Mm-hmm. It didn't in any way feel to me like I was watching a Tim Burton film, except that, oh, they did some interesting aesthetics and the costumer got to go have fun. Like it, it just didn't yeah. quite. Some stripey something unrolled at some point during that film. I'm sure of it. But it just didn't. It, <laughs> it felt like somebody trying, somebody got hired because they liked the other things and then they yeah. wanted them to do it on their project, but they already had the story and the plot and mm. the characters and you couldn't change that. And so now it was sort of a little bit of, well, we'll throw it all in the pot and sort of see what comes out. Yeah. Um, like they were like, they were saying, Hey, put a Tim Burton layer on Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Right. And then afterwards, they were like, it's a skin. Yeah. It's yeah. A skin. yeah. It's a but, skin. But yeah. Alice in Wonderland is already wacky. You don't like it. You don't, it can stand on its own. It doesn't need that to mm. make it. Yeah. Right. Half no, it needs Johnny spent. Depp dancing. That's yeah. what it needs. Yeah. Right. This needs more grayscale. Can we get yeah. Tim Burton in here to put a hat on a hat on another? Right. Hat? I'll tell you what I what I did not like about that movie. I remember seeing that movie in the theater, and this was uh, the first time I had seen a movie where they digitally, after the fact, made something 3D. Yeah, and right. it did not look like a 3D movie. It looked like I was watching a Viewmaster through sunglasses, mm-hmm. <laughs> which makes it a yeah. difficult way. Like all of the backgrounds are in 3D, but they just did this sort of layered thing where they're like, okay, put this yeah. two dimensional film piece that we shot in this layer. So it, it looked like it was a, it looked like it was shot with a flat plane camera. Yeah. And, as opposed to actually shot in 3D. That is not Tim Burton's fault. I don't no. think that he had an intention of this being a 3D movie. I think they added that element to it. Uh-huh. But it does feel like they just said, add a Tim Burton skin to Alice in Wonderland. With Dumbo, it's like they said, hey, all that stuff we love about Tim Burton, don't do any of that stuff. <laughs> right. Just like do the bare minimum, yeah. like 
slightly tattered circus tent aesthetic yeah. of Tim Burtoniness, but that's all we want is just that tiny little touch of it. Bit a bit of personal trivia uh, from Alice in Wonderland, please. They had to at some point, you know, as you always do, ADR and you know background stuff and so on for the mm-hmm. things that didn't come out right on on set, and they have to do it, but can't get the actor, so you're looking for somebody to replace. I screamed for Crispin Glover in that movie, and every now and then <laughs> I get like a 15-cent residual it's check. pretty awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Because I'm always like, you worked on Alice in Wonderland? Oh, yeah, yeah, you did. Like, <laughs> when yeah. the check comes in the mail, just what it's I can, for. I can only imagine, from what I've heard about Crispin Glover, yeah. only who I... You know, I had, had my own sort of Hollywood moment with him once in a restaurant, which was not really much of a Hollywood moment. It was, you know, I, I caught his eye and he sort of stared at me. And then we had sort of this, this bit of a staring contest and, uh, which I couldn't <laughs> take my eyes off him because he was Crispin Glover. Yeah. How did Crispin Glover not wind up the muse? Like, right, he was yeah. like, well, let's right? try out Michael Keaton for a little while, then, uh, Johnny Depp for like a good yeah. decade. Then Crispin Glover shows up like, where have you been all my life, Crispin Glover? Yeah. It's but, peanut butter and chocolate, Tim Burton and Crispin Glover. You, right, did but, he come over to you? What happened? What was the, no, nothing, was nothing the ever happened. Uh, but but <laughs> I, I think I, I think I am, I, 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 as I remember it, he finally broke the gaze, which I felt somehow Ooh, proud. Like, yeah. I always thought he would just drill into my soul and would like follow me home and just keep staring until something, you know, happened. I can only imagine that if they needed to get Crispin Glover to come in and, you know, do a little scream for Alice in Wonderland after he had made the movie, it was probably easier to book someone else. Listen, if I don't ask this now, yes. I'll never get a chance to do this again. After he broke, before he broke his gaze, did you go blink McFly blink? <laughs> I can't help it. I had to do it. Sorry. That's not you will always be Hal Loveland. You can't help. I can't help it. Oh, I can't let that one get past. Come on. No, that was good. That's good. While we're talking about his Disney stuff. Yes. That leads me mentally to other properties from childhood that Tim Burton may have been in contact with or known about. Love's Royal Doll. That he did his take on. I'm thinking of Sweeney Todd. I'm thinking of... Wait, you say from childhood? Well, you no, know, no, no. The, I'm you know, you're a six-year-olds love to have a yeah. little throat cutting. Right. It's just, you know, <laughs> right. part of the... Well, I was, th- I was thinking of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Todd. specifically. <laughs> yeah. But like, but then I got to thinking about just other properties in general. Look, I was a weird kid. I listened to Sweeney Todd as a kid. Of course you did. Yeah. But yeah, when he does his spin on something that already exists, famously, the Mars Attacks cards were not as famous a story, arguably, as Alice in Wonderland or Charlie and the Chocolate yeah. Factory or Sleepy Hollow, which is mm-hmm. his sort of, you know, steampunk take on or not steampunk, his sort of um, it's it's steampunkish. Yeah, I think it's a little steampunkish. Yeah, his, his take on that story. Mm-hmm. Alt colonial. What did you guys think of alt, alt yeah. colonial? That's alt colonial. Yeah. Nice. What did you guys think of uh what did you think of his or even his Planet of the Apes? Um, think of do you think there are any standouts among his I would say Sleepy Hollow Sleepy is the Hollow, standout. I, for me too, I would for agree. All those. of these properties. Yeah. 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 Of, of those. But yeah. I also feel like Sleepy Hollow was one of those stories where yes, it was already a property, but nobody's really walking around like, oh, we really, really are so familiar with Sleepy Hollow, as opposed yeah. to I think a lot of those other properties properties i mean willy wonka will only ever be charlie and the chocolate factory yeah. to me like or, i, I can't yeah. i mean charlie chocolate yeah. will only ever i cannot i yeah, cannot no, you, 
I cannot watch that without seeing Gene Wilder. That was, like I, yeah, I can't, yeah. no. I can't, it was a I can't dissociate what I yeah. already have in that image of that story. Mm-hmm. So like with Sleepy Hollow, nobody's really got that going on. Like, I don't think we should talk about you know, the, the films that should not be named. I don't think we should talk about yeah. Charlie and Chocolate Factory. Voldemort? Yeah. I, I know we have to because that's this what the podcast is about, but sure. I don't mm-hmm. think we should talk about Planet of the Apes. I want to tell one Planet of the Apes story. Oh, go ahead. Okay, go. The movie is, uh-huh. is a rough watch. I look anytime, whether I like it or not, I'm glad everybody got work. Let's, that's the baseline. Mm -hmm. My welcome to Hollywood moment happened because of Planet of the Apes. I was doing extra work on the first Spider-Man movie, the first Tobey Maguire. I was an extra Mm -hmm. in the wrestling scenes. And I went, I went out of the stage to use the the, the bathrooms for the extras. You know, there, there's a a separate building to use the restroom. And so I walked to it next door. They were filming Planet of the Apes. So every once in a while, the giant bay doors were open and I saw the, it was the actual planet set, all the foliage and stuff. And I go walk up to a urinal and then on either side of me, two of the apes walk up to the urinal (laughs) in their full costume, (laughs) talking to each other in the deepest voices imaginable. I don't know if Michael Clark Duncan was one of them. I can't imagine he was. He should have had a trailer, but they both had Michael Clark Duncan-esque voices. And I, I think, think one they were of just them, doing that to trick you. Neither of them actually sounded like yeah. that. Yeah. Then they're like, they came out there. Well, we really pulled one over on that fella, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> but I, but they didn't like, even have to pee. <laughs> I imagined when I came to LA that it would be like, I'll go to the back lot and you'll see the person, the gladiator outfit, and then the pirate over here, and then the uh, medieval yeah. film was being done. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I met a urinal with two of the apes from Planet of the Apes. That's and amazing. I was like, I've arrived. You, yeah. you could have just retired right there. But that might have been the best part of the movie. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's in, the, it, it made the director's cut. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this, Hal. Yeah. That moment that you were looking for that when you're welcome to Hollywood moment, mm-hmm. is there a particular reference in pop culture that has an excellent example of that, that we may not have talked a ton about on today, but definitely popped into my head the second you said that? Oh, he yes. Big adventure. Yes. Huh. Walking around uh, Hollywood. I mean, running mm-hmm. through the yeah. end. Since you mentioned it, I have mm-hmm. to point out, we haven't talked a ton about it. I know we've jumped around to some other things, but Pee-wee's Big Adventure to me is a fairly perfect movie, if not a textbook movie, in that Paul Rubens has said, I loved this quote. He was like, yeah, I read a book on screenwriting to write that movie. It is 90 pages. It's 90 minutes. On page 30, he loses the bike. On page 60, he finds the bike. I did everything exactly the way the book told me to do it. And uh, I just thought that was really it fun. It's it very works. fulfilling. Like, yeah. it's a very yeah. fun, fun ride. And yeah. I think what I like the most about that as a movie is that it's just unadulterated play. Like it's just, mm-hmm. it's like you said, it's the textbook, how to make a movie and how scripts work and how you follow characters and those beats of like, Oh, now all is lost, but now it's not actually like you yeah. get all of that, which means you get to just sit back and relax because you're not worried and you're not thinking about what does this mean or where is this going? Or are they following the rules or like any of the things that sometimes come up when you're watching a movie and it gets too convoluted or too, too aware of what it's doing or anything like that. It's just, we're just making a fun movie and that's all we're doing. And I think there's something really to respect about that because you as the audience just get to sit back and go on the ride and nothing is being asked of you. But with a Tim Burton movie, you sometimes want a little bit to be asked of you so that you're complicit in the adventure of going to a darker place, I think. Yeah. 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 And, and in the end, and I always forget about it because it's less a Tim Burton movie and more a Pee Wee movie. Like it's, mm-hmm. yes. 
that's it's it's a Pee Wee movie and not a Tim Burton movie when I think about yeah. it. Right. Although it's but it's there's so many elements. If you want to trace back his family tree of filmmaking, you get his design mm-hmm. element also. Sure. Because he was a huge fan of Oingo Boingo, he asked Danny yes. Elfman to score the movie for him, which kicked off. Which, wow, I mean, Danny yeah. Elfman scored all but three of his movies. Wow. And I think that helped. I don't know how much scoring Danny Elfman was doing at that point. Like 1984, 85 feels like he was still. So I know Oingo Boingo was still going because yeah. they were in yeah. in uh, mm-hmm. Back to School the same year. Right. So sort of kicked off Danny Elfman's big career as a film composer. And he's yeah. one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. But it is it is a Pee Wee Herman movie. It is also a perfect movie. And it also it has an element that I think might be worth considering when you're trying to pick the best movie, which is its continued impact. Ed Wood, while it's a great movie, and I'm not trying to eliminate it right now, mm-hmm. there's not a lot that endures unless you've seen the movie. Like it mm-hmm. hasn't penetrated. But if you look on Twitter once a year, the night that Large Marge went missing starts yeah. to trend on Twitter and people <laughs> talk about it. Yeah. Um, and the basement of the Alamo. I mean, that's the basement of the that's Alamo. In the basement of the Alamo. In the lexicon, like it's well, that everybody came up knows like that. politically. Oh, did it really? Yeah, really? It came up politically in the last, like when the election was going on. That was like coming up. Somebody was like, somebody was talking about doing was like, like a, a Q and on. There really was a basement. No, to the they Alamo. were going to do like a press it. conference in the basement. <laughs> like that was like it became a thing after the Four Seasons landscape. Oh, like oh. they were like it came up and it was actually oh, announced God. that they were looking into the basement of the Alamo. And oh, I was like. Please tell me this is a joke, but honestly, I don't know what I'm supposed yeah. to believe anymore. So yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Who knows anymore? Oh, but you're right. It endures. Pee-wee's Big Adventure endures. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the other, because we've talked about some of the huge ones. Let's talk about some of the others that might have special places in our hearts. Oh, you just want to talk about Dark Shadows. No, <laughs> dark Shadows. <laughs> Oh, dark shadows. That's one that, that's one yeah. where his version of time and place didn't quite work. Right. Where he's like, get a specific. Okay. The when and the where is always very important and very specific. Oh, it's the sixties. All right. Um, put a macrame thing on the wall. You're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is just did not work terribly well. Uh, no, corpse bride is a oh, great yeah. one. Uh, big fish. Like these are beloved, beloved movies. I just wanted to make sure that. And did he direct Corpse Right? He didn't direct he Nightmare, did. but he did direct Corpse Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this. Since he didn't direct it, we never said movie specifically directed by Tim Burton. You're right. Come you just on. Said Tim Burton. Do we consider The Nightmare Before Christmas a Tim Burton movie? Only if you'll consider Cabin Boy to be a Tim Burton movie, because he also produced that and was going to direct it. Wow. Well but done, Hal. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I'm not gonna lie, I do not hate Cabin Boy. It looks like it was shot sure. on a stage in the 1950s and mm-hmm. it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it looks like he just stumbled onto the set of HMS Penafore and was like, Go grab a camera, let's make a movie. <laughs> but this middle school needs its Penafore set. Who cares? Yeah, it's. <laughs> Yeah, that's that. That's a tough one because everybody I, you you could probably ask you know ten people on the street and nine of them would say he directed it. Well, because you yeah. mm-hmm. you hear a you know because the way they announce and the and aesthetic promote, is you know, like yeah. they talk, but they also put his name on things. And so sure. Tim like, Burton's oh, Tim Nightmare Burton. Before yeah. Christmas. Yeah, right. so like people don't always pay attention, especially if you're not in the industry. People aren't really paying mm-hmm. attention to what all the credits actually sure. mean. So. Yeah. Even if sometimes a writer writes something that's usually mm-hmm. a director, or, you know, like sometimes they don't always, people don't, the audience doesn't always know. So I would say a lot mm-hmm. of people do believe it to be a Tim Burton film. You kind of, ha- you almost have to consider it 
I think so, because if it's given the possessive, if it's given the, like you said, Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas, then the possessive that is implied by that is the same possessive that we use on this show to say whether something is someone's Hal is becoming possessed by the spirit of Henry Selleck, who's not dead, by the way, but I can can see you're becoming possessed. But but as a producer, if you're a good producer, you would Mm -hmm. have a say into decision-making processes for things like aesthetics and story and character. Like you... Script, yeah. stuff like that so maybe he does deserve more credit as far as making that movie into what it is yeah i mean he also i mean it was his concept he pitched it as a television special when he was still working mm-hmm. at disney and they did not want to do it so it lived on as this mm-hmm. film he could have directed it considering it was his but he mm-hmm. was coming off of uh he had batman returns right he was working on and also ed wood mm-hmm. so he chose specifically he wanted to make ed wood more than he wanted to make a nightmare before Christmas yeah. as the mm-hmm. director. There is work as a director that you need to do that he was not able to do because he was working sure, on something sure. else. So it's, sure. it's of course his, the look of it alone. If you took everything else out of it, if you turn mm-hmm. the sound off, you would say, this is a Tim Burton movie, right? Yeah. This right. looks yeah. like Tim Burton, yeah. but yes. it's Danny Elfman did the music and even sings throughout. Yeah. And it's well, like, yeah. Uh, you know, Empire Strikes Back is a George Lucas movie, yeah, but if Irvin Kershner doesn't direct it, it's completely different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. But yeah. you still associate Empire Strikes Back with yeah. George Lucas. Of course, but this isn't the best film associated with Tim Burton. I think we're talking about the stuff he directs. Yeah, okay. Right. That's my feeling. That's fair. I think that it might be moot because I still think Beetlejuice wins, but I think I'd be hard-pressed to say that the Nightmare Before Christmas is not a Tim Burton, Tim Burton movie. Film. What are Even our finalists? Even technically direct right now. Beetlejuice, Ed Wood. Beetlejuice, right? Ed Wood, and we put Edward Scissorhands in there mm, only Edward so that you could eliminate it, I think you said. Well, well I don't know. I, I was just asking. <laughs> we put it on there so we to. could eliminate it. Yeah. yeah. So we'll yeah. wait just, to do that. Just, just to make his life a little sadder. Yeah. Do we want either <laughs> either of his big movies, Big big Fish or Big Eyes? Or big Eyes. Or Big Adventure. I lo- can we talk about Big Eyes? So many bigs. I loved yeah. Big Eyes. I had no idea it was a Tim Burton movie. I watched it. I loved it. I thought Christoph Waltz was great. I thought He's Amy Adams was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know the story. I had seen those paintings before. Yeah. yeah. So like it was one of those sort of cool, crazy things that I had never thought about. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I it does not seem at all like a Tim Burton movie. Right. And that I said, agree with I that. love it. Yeah. 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 And and I think that it is an interesting film, but it also doesn't really feel like it's his movies. It doesn't check all the boxes. Yeah. 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 It kind of feels like the story of it is really interesting and Amy yeah. Adams is great and Christoph mm-hmm. Waltz is great. It feels like at a certain point it kind of peters out. Like, oh, th- is there more? Is this going to be more about the courtroom drama? Nope. This feels pretty short. This courtroom yeah. part that it's kind of like the crux. <laughs> yeah. Of we her thought the eyes were really interesting. Let's get into that again. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, does the judge have big eyes? Does, does the judge also know? Okay. <laughs> so Pee Wee's Big Adventure is not a finalist. Well, I mean, I think it's a great film, but I don't know that I think it's one of the like. Okay. Yeah. And Big Fish, which it seems like we have division amongst yeah, the two some of people, you. Some people, some people love, love, love that movie and think yeah. it is a masterpiece and brilliant. I'm just not one of those people. You know, it doesn't mean that it's not. It just means that I don't think it is. You know, I mean, yeah. that's all that that means. <laughs> and although I liked it more than him, I don't think that it's nearly as good as Beetlejuice. So mm. it wouldn't pop, pop Beetlejuice off yeah. my list for me at all. Right. 
Yeah, there are a couple of movies that are all four of us. They are definitely on the top of the pile for all four of us. So how I feel is that we should quickly tell the people of the world about what's going on with the Max Fun Drive Mm. and then come back and we will talk about our finalists. We will be right back right after this. The theme of this year's Max Fun Drive is community. And that means that we're creating something together. We put out the show, you listen to it, and we wanted to learn a little bit more about what our show means to you. So we asked and you answered. And we got this submission from Nikki. Here are just a few of the really kind things that she had to say about We Got This. We Got This is just one of my fave podcasts from Max Fun. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you, Nikki. Mark and Hal are two most genially funny and kind guys. Thank you, Nikki. Oh, thank you, Nikki. We got this gives you so much fun on topics you didn't even think on debating. And thank that you, Nikki. I love. I yes. <laughs> thank you, Nikki. Thank I you. I love that 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 to me, the idea that these are topics that you would never think of debating is kind of the point of this show. So I'm glad that we've uh, given that to Nikki. And she says they always make me smile. And this I will agree with 100%. The guests they have on are always epic. So we try to get great guests and we try to get them to talk about things that they have either secret passion for or they think they have no passion for. And then suddenly they're standing on a chair yelling at you about the crunchiness of Cheerios. So thank you for your kind words, Nikki. And she says also, it takes a special person to make a podcast that can stop dark thoughts from overtaking. And this has been a rough year for everybody. And I know we've all had a lot of dark thoughts throughout this time. And thank you so much. It means so much to us, A, that you would be free in sharing that. And B, that the community that this show has created, the people of the world, is something that brings a little bit of light. That's right. If you feel the way that Nikki feels about the guests we have and about the show that we do, know that that is happening. And it continues to happen because of you and your support, especially during times like Max Fun Drive. Because of you. Because all of you who listen and all of you and people who have reached out and said how nice it is to have the show, especially during what's been a very difficult year, sort of keep you company. We're still there with you. It means a lot to us. And it's not easy to continue to make shows during a time like this. But one of the things that keeps us going is knowing that we get to do the show the way that we want directly because of your support, because of the support of Max Fund members. And now during Max Fund Drive is a chance for you to either become a member for the first time, to become a member yet again, or to boost your existing membership. And most folks start off with $5 per month. And if that's where you're comfortable, that's great. If you're comfortable with more, that's great. Just know that when you become a member, when you boost your membership, you're also supporting all the people who aren't able to become members right now. Hey, Hal, can I ask you a question? Sure. If I join at $10 a month, Mm -hmm. will I be able to select from this year's crop of maximum fund pins? Yes. Okay. Is one of the pins that is included in that Mm -hmm. a pin that has a picture of the best pretzel shape on it? What it is. Mark, that I think you're trying to get at is a reference to our best pretzel shape episode where your refusal to budge from your choice. That pretzel shape is the best pretzel shape? A dark path. Oh. So you can get a pin from the show from one of the most often referenced episodes, which is worth a listen if you haven't heard it yet. It is a picture of the customary pretzel shape and surrounding it are the words, this is not the best pretzel shape. 
Oh, customary. I can't believe you just threw down with it's the customary pretzel shape. Anyway, get that pin, yes. people of the world. You, you also get that pin, listener. That's You're going right. to love it. It's a you really will, fun pin. You will also get what everybody at the $5 level gets, which is access to all of the bonus content. We've done this. This is our sixth maximum fun drive that we've done. So you get six different bonus episodes of ours, plus from all the other great shows on the Max Fun Network. This year, we did What is the Worst Chore? Is it doing oh. the dishes? Or doing the laundry and we'll, we'll decide you don't have to argue with people anymore about it we, yeah we got you there is a correct answer we know what it is because we've already taken the dive you don't yet but you will when you get that bonus content at five dollars a month at ten dollars a month you can get that amazing in with the best pretzel shape that says this is not the best pretzel shape and there are gifts at other levels too but if you're not too worried about getting gifts but you just want to give a little more you can also just boost your membership to any amount between levels that you would like. The real gift for us is knowing that you are supporting We Got This with Mark and Hal and all the shows at the Max Fun Network. Yes, we know and are grateful for all the people who are able to become members right now and do. But also, however you are able to support our show and however you choose to support it, this is the time of year where not only you support us, but we continue to thank you for your support because it means the world to both me and Mark. How many people listen to the show each week, each episode, each month, and how many of you have decided to turn that membership in our community to membership in the Maximum Fun community as a whole, an actual deeper level of support for the show. So if you're ready to join right now, if you're ready to boost or you're ready to upgrade, you JBU! JBU, booster upgrade. JBU, you know where to do it, which is at maximumfund.org forward slash join. And the important part of that. I think the forward was implied. You could just say slash join. I always say forward slash. There's a backslash out there, Mark. And if we're not responsible about it. What are we, coders? It, maybe. You don't know what yeah. I do when I'm not on a microphone with you. Go to maximumfund.org forward slash join yes. right now. And then come back, hit play, and listen to the rest of the episode. But be sure when you're signing up, when you are joining or boosting or upgrading, when you are JBUing, to check the box. JBU! JBU! When they ask you what shows you listen to, all the shows that you check off are the ones that will benefit from a portion of that recurring monthly contribution. So we certainly hope if you're listening to this that we will be one of those shows. We think we've earned it, and we appreciate the support from everyone who is willing to give it. And now, let's get back. To the exciting conclusion of We Got This with Mark and Hal. Okay. Our finalists are Beetlejuice, Ed Wood, and Edward Scissorhands. That's a solid, that is a solid that is trio. A good three. Oh, I feel bad so for good. Big Fish, but I also don't think it's a finalist. I really like it a lot. Okay. Yeah. I think part of why I'm holding on to it is I know how much Jennifer loves it. Oh, yeah. Like, but, and that's great. It says a lot that he can make things that are, I'll tell you, I was just reading about him for the past week. If I ever see the word quirky again in print, I'm going to <laughs> hurl all written words into the sea. <laughs> the best Tim Burton just insight that I've seen lately is if you guys have seen, I think it was uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty, the documentary on Disney+. Plus. There's a documentary about 
the early 80s animators at Disney. Mm. I think it's Waking Sleeping Beauty is the name of this movie. And uh, it's a lot of the footage is just people walking around with camcorders around the Disney animation offices. And periodically they walk past the desk of this like 20 year old black clad goth kid who's very quiet and just periodically looks up deadpan and stares into the camera uh and you're like oh my god (laughs) it's baby tim burton in the early 80s as a disney animator completely miss it really is like looking at edward scissorhands sitting there at the disney animators building in glendale amazing (laughs) Yeah. yeah i love it so good. It's. I was just saying. It's nice to think that he can make those quirkier films. I said it again. You said it. But also, he's make so something, quirky. That's the thing. But also, make something with heart that kind of reaches yeah. beyond. Yeah. I think there is like a Tim Burton fandom, mm-hmm. and then sometimes you have a group of people who just like what you do, and they want you to do that forever. Like I want everything to be Edward Scissorhands. So make mm-hmm. Alice in Wonderland that style. Make, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but his ability to sort of reach beyond that and capture the imaginations and hearts of people who might not like what is considered to be core Tim Burton is pretty spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he can show you really, really well what a tombstone looks like that you forget that he can show you what a rose looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, he's very good at doing that too. Mm -hmm. That's what big fish feels like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, but it's like with the giant and the, the, (laughs) no, I don't think we need finalists guys. I'm going to, I'm going to say it right here. I'm Team Beetlejuice. I'm Team Beetlejuice. <laughs> I'm Team Beetlejuice. I'm I'm with you. I'm Team Beetlejuice. Yeah. You joined our well, team. I did. How oh, is this? You, are you going to make this unanimous? Make this difficult? Are you? People of the world, let me count wow. the windows. Beetlejuice. 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 <laughs> is he here? Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> it's showtime! Yeah, he went Alex in. Brightman is here singing right now. <laughs> Go see the Broadway musical when it reopens. If it reopens, I hope it does. It's amazing. <sighs> Think about this, everybody. 36 years ago, he makes his first film, establishes his visual style, and brings on his composer, his John Williams, then waits three years to make a movie. Now, after having a hit, and if you wait three years, that could be the end. You don't know if your next movie, if anybody's going to remember you, if it's going to be any good. What does this guy do? He creates a movie that has spawned an animated series, which was really enjoyable, a hit Broadway musical. Now he's working on the sequel. It turned Michael Keaton into an even bigger star and gets in Batman and keeps his career going. Like just everything about that movie. It's a perfect film. Yeah. Yeah. It's a perfect film. If you love Catherine O'Hara, it's a perfect film. If you love Winona Ryder. Introduce a whole generation to Harry Belafonte. Yes. Harry Belafonte. Our our four year old son knows the name Harry Belafonte because of Beetlejuice. Yeah. Amazing. I, there's no higher praise than that. There it goes. No higher praise. The best Tim Burton movie is the second tim burton movie ever made it's beetlejuice asked and answered at the beginning by the way like maybe an hour before we were scheduled to hop on and talk to each other mark and i were texting and we both texted what we thought the answer was and we both said beetlejuice coming into it so when you said at the beginning i was like oh we gotta stretch this to an hour we can't (laughs) no 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 you did nothing wrong but yeah. I think it's worth taking a walk through yeah. the, the yeah. films yeah. of Tim Burton. Yeah. I mean, there's so much there that's interesting and 
creative and wildly aesthetic and memorable. And to be able to create these images that stick with audiences, whether or not you're somebody who watches something on repeat or not, is a very powerful skill set that not every filmmaker can say they can do. Like a filmmaker might make a great movie that you were very touched by when you're watching it, but that's an emotional touching. You know, like there's different things that different filmmakers bring to the table. And I think Tim Burton would be proud that his imagery is one of the things that sticks with people, that people can see it. Or it's like a, it's a, it's a visceral feeling when you connect to both the dark and the play that happens in Beetlejuice. Like when they're sitting around the table and the shrimp hands come, like it's, it's Uh just such a, you react because you're so overjoyed that they went there, that he did that, that he mm-hmm. took the chance and that he was so wackadoo off the park that he didn't care whether you were on board, that he was going to make sure you were on board because he was going to do it anyway. And I think there's something really fun about that if yeah. you are honest about going on the audience ride. Yeah. And it's a complete story. Just mm-hmm. every note is perfect. And it's a great, like, if you've never seen anything that Tim Burton's made before. Which is hard to believe. I feel like everybody's seen at least one to Burton. It's a great place to start. And a story I hadn't already seen many times. Like like the story of Beetlejuice is like, I I can't think of another, you know, there are only five stories, whatever. But somehow I feel like I had one of these isn't one of those five stories. You know, Beetlejuice isn't one of those five stories. Yeah. 100%. Haunt the new owners of your house isn't one of the uh, five original. In a surprising uh, turn of events. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, yeah. How do you be a ghost? Like, yeah, like really on page that- 30, is that when the car goes off the bridge? I don't know exactly what the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, you introduce your main characters and kill them immediately. Yeah. yeah. But that's oh. the beginning. That's, you know, that's your, you know, that's the... Yeah. Just incredible. That's your page 10. Well, that's it, Hal. Asked and answered. Asked and answered. Thank you. Oh, man. It's so good to see you it's both. So Likewise. See you guys too. This really? Selfishly. Such a delight. Yeah. I know. Oh. This makes me very happy. What do you want people to tell them what's going on? You would check out your book. What's happening? Other than the fact that I'm going to go put ketchup on a hot dog. I, Why? Ooh, there it is. How dare you? Um, yes, we, we have a, we have a book on voice acting called Voice Over Voice Actor, the extended edition. It's available on Amazon. And there was a sci-fi show that I did a couple of years ago. It was for a streaming platform that Legendary had that went defunct very, you know, very soon after. And so not a lot of people got to see the show. It was live sci-fi. It was a new episode every week. It was performed live. It was live action. All the visual effects, all the sound effects. The score was performed live on the stage. It was all one take, wow. uh, multiple cameras. But it looks everything. like Battlestar Galactica. Oh, it looks it, visually but like... But it looks like an episode yeah. of, you know, a, a sci-fi show that you'd watch, like a, a produced... And the audience got to vote on things. So live, the actors would find out what the audience vote was and they would have to change dialogue to incorporate... It was just... It, it was insanity. It was, I don't it was, know it, was, it was space madness. It's like Edwin Drood Voyager. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, not a lot of people got to see it just because of the platform. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, the rights reverted back to us and dust picked it up and you're going to get to see the whole first season on dust at the end of the summer. Now it won't That's be fantastic. live. It won't be live obviously, yeah. but because sure. we, you know, we're, we're rolling on it. It, you know, we, we mm-hmm. were able to cut it together and master it and everything. And, and I'm just really excited for people to, you know, actually be able to watch it. It's a really good show. It's called orbital redux. Sorry. I never mentioned the name. I know I was going to say, what's, it, what's it called? What's it called again? Going, like, that sounds it's amazing. Tim, yeah. Tim Burton's orbital redux. Ooh. <laughs> he didn't, he yeah. just produced it. He didn't direct it, but he right. put right. it exactly. as a Tim Burton's. The only 
Tim Burton element is that I, I added his name into this pitch. Uh, but yeah, no, on it's it'll it'll be on dust at the end of the summer. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the date is, but it's coming soon, and I'm really excited. This is very, very exciting. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. On the re-release of your live show. Very cool. And thank you again for coming on yes. and Thanks doing for this asking with us. us. You guys. Really oh, wait, nice. do you want to say now? Let's set up the sequel. What was the topic that you thought we would pick that we did not that we will reserve for you? It was biscuits. It was biscuits. It's what do you put on biscuits? Was it butter, jelly, oh. or, honey. or honey? Okay. Believe That's it or not, it. that was on the list. Reserve or, 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 I, or I made that up, and um, I just wanted to, be, to talk to about it. To be fair, during what quarantine, Yuri's gotten very uh, good at baking biscuits. We've eaten a lot of biscuits because it's one really? of the things that he's really yes. good at. I've, I've like southern style biscuits. biscuits. Oh yeah, like style. buttermilk biscuits. Buttermilk flaky cast iron? biscuits. You get flaky biscuits? Yeah, I'm not in a cast oh. iron. Oh, that'll that should that's how I should level it up. We should see if I can level it up for the cast iron. I have a cast iron that's been sitting. I need to reseason it. flaky. It's about uh, really? freezing the butter and grating it. There's so many. It's, oh, it's yeah. science. And it took me many, yeah. many, many tries before I got it. And you oh. can only stir it like three times. Let's save it for the show. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we're talking about this. This is very oh, exciting. Is yeah, it. we got to talk this about this. This is reserved. We're putting a pin yeah. in it until we next speak to the listeners. We'll talk. I mean, obviously, we'll, okay. we'll all uh, see each other soon. I hope. Please. Please. Amen. Well, this topic is closed, but there are many more topics to discuss, like biscuits. So please reach out to us on Twitter at We Got This Tweets, or you can email us at We Got This Podcast at gmail.com or go to the Facebook group. Celebrate the quirkiness of Tim Burton Ugh. at Facebook.com forward slash group forward slash We Got This Podcast. Drives you crazy, doesn't it? To hear it over and yeah, over again. It really does. Yeah. It really does. Thank you to producer Ken Plume, researcher Kate McManus, graphic designer Uri Kelman, and QA engineer Jen Alba. And thanks, of course, to our musicians, Jonathan Dinerstein and Mike Furman for our score and theme song, respectively. And thanks to you, the people of the world, for giving us a chance to, uh oh, Dale! <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And an extra thank you. If you have gone the extra mile to become a Max Fun member, you are making this show possible. We're able to bring you our show independent of any outside influence because our audience, people like you, have chosen to support it. And we can't thank you enough. This episode may almost be over, but we have almost a week of Max Fun Drive yet to go. So there's still time to support us and the other shows that you listen to and enjoy. So if you are not yet a member, Go over to MaximumFun.org slash join. It's real easy, and it's always appreciated. Thanks. For Hal Loveland, I'm Mark Gagliardi. For Mark Gagliardi, I'm Hal Loveland. And don't worry, everybody. We We got got this. this. We got this. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.